Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hi, it's Sonia. This week, Carrie and I are delving deep into Thanksgiving. We're talking about our favorite part of the meal, which is the sides. And we're specifically honing in on vegetable sides. We're both looking for flavors, textures, colors to round out a plate at what can often be a pretty rich and decadent fall meal. Carrie really got me inspired to get in the kitchen again. I love hearing about where our traditions overlap and where they differ. And there's definitely some new things I want to try out this year because of her. We're also going to talk about how to do things ahead of time, how to make Thanksgiving a little easier, and how to accommodate different dietary preferences. So thank you for listening and stay tuned for more. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Carrie. Sonia, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. Well, we're going to be talking about pretty much all my favorite foods. Same. And such a fun time of year to be cooking, getting ready for Thanksgiving. Yeah, and any kind of Thanksgiving, Friendsgiving, or if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, just like that celebration of fall harvest, warm and nutty and spicy and rich flavors. Yes, that's really what's coming to mind too for me is the celebratory nature of this time of year with the abundance of the harvest. And then with, you know, sort of rolling into the holidays, I just feel like it gives us permission to make dishes that are a little bit more rich, to like pour a little bit more cream on them or totally cheese or olive oil or nuts or just all the things. And this is incredible timing because this year, and this is sort of inspired by our podcast, I think our conversation last fall around Thanksgiving when we had Lauren and Seth Rogen on the show really changed a lot of my thinking. And that year I had already planned to host 16 people, almost all family, almost all of Jonathan's family. And I made every single thing on the table. And I have done that many times. I have done many Thanksgivings where aside from dessert, I make everything. And I've hosted, you know, 15, 20 people at a time for many, many years on end. But something about last year, I was like, I'm never doing this again. There's no reason any one person should make every single Thanksgiving dish. It's actually not smart. It actually doesn't I mean, it was delicious. I, everyone was happy. It's not like I, anything. I would have been happy to be a guest at that <laughs> table. You know, I've been a guest at at some of your Jewish holidays where you make all the dishes and being a guest at your table, experiencing your singular vision is a beautiful thing. But, you know, I have to agree with you. I just think there's such a permission given in Thanksgiving because, you know, in my opinion, should be about just like gathering people together at your table. When I was growing up, it definitely was mostly just my family, but I don't live near my family. So unless my husband and I are flying to Illinois to be with my parents or flying to New York to be with my mother-in-law when she was around, there's always a mixture of people at whatever table I'm at. And we sort of got a look into what Seth and Lauren have done for so many years, which is just lay out this huge table, gather everyone around. They definitely cook a lot of things, but there's this come with whatever you are interested in. And people show up with such cool- You get to see everyone's 
traditions. And I think what sets Thanksgiving apart from other kinds of holiday meals, like ones where I will cook everything, is Thanksgiving's oddly the most number of dishes in a single course. (laughs) Like like at a normal dinner party, even if you're doing multiple courses, you're not doing 10 different dishes. And when you're hosting a big Thanksgiving, not only is it that you're feeding a lot of mouths, but you're trying to feed a lot of traditions. So you want to make sure you have mashed potatoes and sweet potato and all these categories that take everyone's boxes. And it's just so many dishes. So I was very inspired by last year. And I was like, before even plans emerge, I had made a vow after last Thanksgiving and I told I told Jonathan, I said, this is the last time I'm ever doing this ever again. Yeah. So we're done with this. Yeah. No matter what Thanksgiving we do in the future, I'm doing it potluck style. And I'll still cook a bunch. So then we got an invitation to Thanksgiving. So not only am I not hosting for the first time in many, many years, but I'm also attending. And that's so beautiful. It's very beautiful. And the host is vegetarian. Well, wow. one of the hosts. Yeah. Uh, they're a couple. And so one person's a vegetarian and the other person's not. And so we are going to have turkey and things, but I'm now really mindful about what I'm bringing because I want the veggie part of the meal to feel as abundant as anything else. And I think that's true at Thanksgiving anyway. The sides are almost the star of the show. Yeah. And there's such an acknowledgement, especially if you're not a vegetarian or a vegan. Turkey is like such a necessity on every Thanksgiving table. And yet let's be honest with each other. You know, it's just so bland. And I, I, I don't, I love turkey. I, <laughs> I, you know, I think we talked about this with Seth. Like he, he was saying like, it's the boringest, worst yeah. bird. Yeah. And I don't feel that. And I think that's partly how I cook it, but that's for another conversation. But I actually genuinely love turkey. It's just that I love the sides as much or more. Yeah. I mean, to your point, it's like the number of things that you're piling on your plate is both in the spirit of the season and in the spirit of this holiday. I'm also going to a Thanksgiving this year, so I'm not the the mastermind of what goes on the table. But I'm thinking about like what flavors, what textures, what do you want to offer in this space for people to choose to put on their plate? I think that's the central question because whether you're a host or whether you're bringing a dish to someone's house, so the friend who is hosting they sent an email saying, here's what we're making. And then so now you have a template to go off of. Like, you know the areas they have covered and you're going to fill in the gaps. So I think we can talk about some of these categories of where to bring the vegetable forward additions because usually a host is going to make the turkey or ham or whatever it is. They usually make, you know, a potato dish or... Or some kind of stuffing or whatever. Or stuffing, right. Although I'm going to bring the stuffing to our Thanksgiving that we're attending, but we can get back to that. But yeah, you're thinking about what do I bring to enhance enhance and round out the meal. And I'm curious also what you are thinking about because I have a feeling we're thinking along the same lines. Yeah, we're definitely thinking along the same lines. And that that's actually something as we've gone to these big Friendsgivings in the past, I acknowledge that my skill set as a chef allows me to be a little bit more nimble than other people. And so I generally am one of the last people to say what I'll bring on a potluck because I always look and see where do I think there are holes, right? I mean, you're like... I, I, I to see your face right this now. This is like a classic what would Carrie do? Like <laughs> you you're not even realizing like that you I mean you're realizing in this moment but the fact that you're like I'm consciously going to wait for other people to respond because I have a, a deeper skill set I can help out the cause. That kind of generosity of spirit is so you that it's touching to me. Well that's a really lovely thing for you to say. I will also offer the selfish piece of that which is that <laughs> one of my favorite things to make is to make like a cornbread stuffing that 
it has mm. andouille sausage in it. I have a love of Cajun food and I've spent some time in Louisiana. And so I'm just really drawn to the idea of smoky, porky sausage in a cornbread. And I've I've made my own version for years, but it's such a specific dish and specific for me. And so we have these friends who come to this Friendsgiving and they, a few years ago, I was kind of waiting to see who put what, and they brought their own cornbread stuffing that had sausage in it. And it was completely different than mine. But if I had kind of staked my claim on that, they never would have maybe brought theirs. And so I wouldn't have got to experience their vision of cornbread stuffing, right? This is still selfless. Because you're you're saying (laughs) if I had staked my claim, because my thing is, or for instance, Jonathan was like, I really want you to make stuffing. And the host had an offer that they were going to make stuffing. So I chimed in right away. Oh, I'll make stuffing. And I'm like, see, I've robbed someone the opportunity of making stuffing. No, but I think, listen, if the host isn't making it, that's great. And that your husband is asking for this. I think, you know, it's great to just stake your claim. This is where we should start, I think. I think we just start with stuffing too, because the thing about stuffing for me is I have mostly made vegetarian stuffings. And since we're focusing on vegetables on our side, I'd like to offer that because I've just been at so many large gatherings and inevitably there are vegetarians there. And I feel like stuffing is one of those things that's kind of almost only at Thanksgiving. So if it has meat, you know, I know people are missing out on that. Although the kind that you're describing, like a cornbread stuffing with sausage, I've made that with turkey sausage instead of pork. Uh-huh. And it's been incredible. Like I love that kind of stuffing. I really want to hear your vegetarian version because the truth is, is that if I'm going to go through the process of making stuffing. I'm going to make the one that I know and love with this cornbread. And also just to offer, I make my grandmother's cornbread, my great grandmother's cornbread recipe. So my grandma Marty wasn't really a cook, but her mother was a cook. Her name was Virgie, you know, born and raised in Kentucky. And I use her cornbread and then toast it and then sort of add all my pieces. So it's this dish that is kind of a mix of where I come from and where I've been to and all these flavors that I love. But again, so beautiful. Yeah, it's great. But I think that your point about vegetarians coming to the table is such an important one. You know, a stuffing can be hearty, right? And it can be vegetable forward. And it and it can also be almost like a bread pudding. You can go into the adding some eggs to it, adding more cream to it, or you can keep it really traditional with just the bread and the vegetables. Yeah, it, it's true. Can I ask though, can you share the cornbread recipe that is yeah. in your family? Because I will. I love a good cornbread recipe and I don't have like a family recipe. No one in my family ever even made it. And I love cornbread and I think having even just cornbread at a Thanksgiving table is such a nice offering. So I'd love to have your recipe. Maybe I'll even try it this year. Well, I'll just offer the one caveat, which is that I grew up eating that Jiffy cornbread mix. My mom would make that mix for us for dinner occasionally. And that always has a little bit of sugar in it. Yeah. My grandmother's recipe is completely savory. It's only salt and you do it in a cast iron skillet. So you heat the skillet and the oil in the oven and then you pour the batter in and it kind of fries it along the edges. So it gets these like crispy edges. And then when it comes out of the oven, my favorite thing to do is put butter on it and let the butter melt into it. It's uh, so it's so incredible. And you're right. I love that style of cornbread. I know exactly <laughs> what you're – I know a savory cornbread yeah. and I know a cast iron cornbread and those are my favorite kinds. Okay. So let me share my stuffing. Yes. I, I'm at a point where like I've never really written a recipe – 
and I've never followed a recipe because I've totally. just been, and I'm sorry that that I, I will try to find a recipe that's close to what I do. But there's two vegetarian stuffing directions I go in, and the one I've been doing most often is basically a leek forward stuffing. So I what get you're thinking in my brain, like who doesn't oh, want leeks in your stuffing, right? I think the le- the leek in any stuffing I do is an essential ingredient, yes. and it's a great time of year for leeks. And if you're also keeping it vegetarian but not vegan and you're adding lots of butter, leeks and butter is such like a heavenly combination. Heavenly. So my basic stuffing is not so crazy. I get a really good sourdough or even like an herbed sourdough. Like I kind of am not mad at the Thanksgiving herb bread. That's a great place to go for sure. Especially if you have like a bakery or a vendor at your farmer's market that has some of these special breads. That's exactly what I do. And then I get that almost five days before Thanksgiving or six days because you want your bread stale. And I usually actually cube it up when I get it fresh and then just keep it around and like let it get stale. Stuffing really loves stale bread. Yeah, because it really helps soak up the flavors into the bread. And I always do stuffing prep days in advance. And then I usually cook the vegetables, like get them going the day before too, or even two days before they assemble. Yeah. Yeah. And I always do a combination of a tremendous amount of leeks, a lot of celery. I think celery is such an important stuffing ingredient. Agreed. Yes. Yes. I often will throw in a little apple, like a tart Mm. apple. Yeah. And garlic, sage, rosemary, thyme, lots of herbs. If I'm doing a meat stuffing, I would add a sausage, a crumbled sausage at this point. But if I'm keeping it vegetarian, I don't. And then I have a really good stock. I usually make a homemade veggie stock. Or if it's a meat version, I'll make a homemade turkey stock also in advance. And then I really just crack some eggs, combine some stock, throw all the things in. If it feels like a little, you want it kind of mushy, like a bread pudding. You want it to start to really soften. So I'll add a little more stock if I think it's dry. I usually add somewhere between three and four eggs per, you know, nine by 13 casserole dish. Usually it's like a whole loaf of bread per casserole dish. Yeah. And usually it's two leeks, four or five celery, maybe some onion too, garlic and the herbs and apple. That sounds really delicious. And, you know, when you were mentioning the combining it and what you want it to feel like, what came to mind to me was this bread pudding that I made years ago. And the methodology was really interesting. You set aside a third of the bread, the dry pieces, and then you mixed the rest of it with the wet ingredients and put it into a casserole. And then you put the dry on top and kind of pressed it down. Yeah. But like the bottom was softer. Like for your version, you could put some olive oil or even butter on top. The bottom of your stuffing is creamier and then the top is a little bit crunchier, which is a texture I'm looking for. I basically, I want to backtrack. I forgot a really important ingredient in my stuffing, which is fennel. I always add fennel in my my stuffing. So it's fennel, leek, celery, apple. That's it. Not me at all those ingredients. Yeah. Yes. You don't want the top too soggy, but what I'll do is I'll start out with a covered dish for yeah. baking and then I always reheat it uncovered yeah. and then it always get a gets a crackly top yeah. kind of no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. The other stuffing just briefly that I make for vegetarian specifically is a mushroom stuffing, a mushroom leek stuffing. Yeah. So same idea, but no apple, nothing, you know, none of those sweet notes, but celery, leek and loads and loads of sauteed mushrooms. Yeah. Same kind of herb like profile. Like thyme, rosemary, those exactly. 
fall herbs. Yeah. I've definitely had a version of a mushroom leek stuffing before too, which I'm not mad at. I, you know, especially with what you're describing, this sourdough bread is herbaceous. What a great combination. Yeah. And then it's just the perfect vehicle to combine with all the other flavors, which I think we should get into. Yeah. So one of the things that is always on my Thanksgiving table is corn. You know, Mm. I grew up in the Midwest. My dad grew up on a farm. My dad is farming corn currently right now. I think that's something that my dad always wanted on our table and and frankly, a vegetable that we ate every week as well. But my flavor profiles of corn have changed. But I'll be honest, I really like a creamed corn. And I think a creamed corn with, again, what you're talking about, these unsung heroes of Thanksgiving, the leeks, starting with butter and leeks, and then a lot of corn and letting that starch come out and letting it thicken and adding a little bit of cream to that. One of the things I like on the top of my creamed corn are crushed saltine crackers. Wow. You know, it's all kind of revelatory because corn has never been part of my Thanksgiving table. Really? Not once. And I've been to Thanksgiving or someone brought corn pudding. I've had corn pudding and been like, oh my God, this is so delicious. And actually every Thanksgiving, I think about making corn pudding, but because it's not on my rotation, I don't end up making it. So I'm so fascinated. So you have a recipe. Is it a family recipe or is it one that you just made up or you kind of I don't have a recipe, you know. There's definitely like this corn spoon bread or corn pudding that are are definitely more in the category of stuffing, right, that are much more starchy. This is more of a rich kind of cream base. When you put the saltines on it, that helps like soak up some of the sauce. But it's almost like mac and cheese, but without the pasta. If you want to really thicken it up, add a little bit of flour and cook that and then add a little bit of cream. And then what I'll sometimes do, depending on what else is happening on the table, leave it just creamed like that. Or if I wanted to make it ahead of time, I'll put that into a casserole dish even a day or two before and then add saltines before I bake it. I love a scallion with corn and I think that adds a nice color at the end. So, you know, those flavors of basically just corn, this like sweet corn flavor, but that's supported by these buttery leeks and then the scallion at the end. Your cream corn sounds like you're taking corn off the cob, obviously, doing a saute, then putting it in a cream sauce that's thickened by a roux. And then sometimes you serve it as is and sometimes you bake it. And if you bake it, you're topping it with like that crushed saltine, but you could also do a panko. Panko breadcrumb. Yes, exactly. That's a great idea. And that's different than some of the corn puddings I see, which are more like cream cheese and or like a can of soup or some other kind of element. I definitely grew up with versions of that too, for sure. But and I'll also offer certainly when I was growing up, fresh corn off the cob was no longer accessible for us in November. Yeah. My mom and my dad, our family always use frozen corn, you know, because the minute corn is picked, it starts those sugars start turning to starch. So the older it is, the less sweet it is. So a frozen bag of corn is literally something I'm starting to buy in early November and sticking in my freezer. Oh, you know? just in preparation for Thanksgiving. In preparation for Thanksgiving, exactly. I think I'm definitely going to have to have corn this year. You know what corn makes me think of too? My personal mess for Thanksgiving is some kind of squash dish because of yes. the corn and the three sisters. And yes. I think squash is sometimes polarizing. I can't say that everybody, like that it's the first dish to get eaten, you know, when I've served squash, but I just can't resist it at Thanksgiving. Do you like to have squash on your Thanksgiving table? I have graduated to liking to have a squash or a sweet potato on my Thanksgiving table. But the way that my mom made sweet potatoes when I was growing up were very, very sweet. There was just like a lot of brown sugar and butter and and they 
were like sort of swimming in this sauce and I didn't like that at all. I have come to really love a kabocha squash or a butternut squash or any of these beautiful winter squashes that we're finding at the farmer's market. I do have a really cool one that someone brought to my my table a couple years ago. So I think I've mentioned my sister-in-law and her sister and her mother. They're all very good cooks. And so one year when I was hosting, I just said, you guys sort out the sides. Just bring them. I don't care. And one of them brought, it was a a butternut squash halved. They call it Hasselbeck. Yeah, Hasselbeck butternut squash. Hasselbeck butternut squash. You know, the shape of a butternut squash, but cut in half and sort of laying down with the cut side down, right? So it's this squash shape. And then basically make little cuts all along the squash. And so it's like kind of like an accordion. Is that what you would describe it? Like an accordion. And it was so incredibly delicious. And you could either take the full half of the squash or you could just take a third of it or a half of it and add it to your plate. And they had put some kind of brown butter and like fried sage and it was a really delicious way to experience squash. I have done exactly that for Thanksgiving because there was this great, it came out in Bon Appetit magazine, that Hasselback squash. I want to say it was maybe even on the cover, but I feel like it was one of those recipes from like eight or seven years ago that just everyone was like, whoa, lost their mind. It's such a nice way to do it because you get little crispy bits, but also you get little like thin pieces of squash and there's something nice about this. I, for this recipe, I love to do honey nut squash, which is like a smaller version of butternut squash. And it's so readily available now. Like you can find it in so many grocery stores. I mean, butternut works great too, but I find the honey nut naturally sweeter and a little less fibrous, like a little more buttery and smoother. But the squash recipe that I tend to want to have most at Thanksgiving, and again, that maybe isn't for everyone, is actually one inspired by you. And and your catering and your friend who is a caterer and what I have often served at Thanksgiving is kabocha squash. You cut them into like little chunks, little almost triangular pieces. Yes. Yes. You toss them in a ton of cinnamon. Uh-huh. And I like to add ginger. I like to also add a little allspice or nutmeg. I like to make it really spicy, black pepper. Yeah. yeah. And you toss them really well with oil. You roast them. And then after they come out of the oven, you drizzle it with pomegranate molasses and you could also do tahini in addition and I like to do a fresh herb like a cilantro or mint or a parsley and and I love that because it's like sweet and tangy and creamy and squashy and to me it's a perfect Thanksgiving like side of interest and unexpected side. I mean I'm so glad you reminded me of that because when I worked with this friend of mine it was definitely over 10 years ago and we we did this for like holiday parties and so we were really cutting these pieces of squash into a bite size like an hors d'oeuvre size but this is a great way I think if someone is willing to go outside of the box of a butternut squash this is is a great place to play with those ideas because really you're just tossing it in olive oil and whatever flavorings spice one that you like right so you could go in an Indian direction you could go in like a Latin direction with chili powder you know one of the things I remember buying last year was Aleppo pepper which is spicy pepper but has like a little bit of smokiness and that went into a couple of my dishes last year and so whatever you've got on hand or whatever you're interested in experimenting with but that pomegranate molasses 
purpose at the end. Is that's like, the key. That's the, key. the that's yes. like you can't. And I just always have pomegranate molasses in my cupboard because it's often that like zingy, sweet and sour note yes. that you want on something. And I put it on it's chicken. Yeah. And it, on your Thanksgiving table, because the food t- typically is so rich, and yeah. especially if you're at a potluck, there's probably going to be a lot of starchy things, probably a couple sweet things, some rich things. Having something that's zingy and tangy is like such a great thing for your palate amidst all that. That's why cranberry sauce is such an yes. essential. Like cranberry sauce, pomegranate molasses offers. It's funny. As I was thinking about this, it was like, what flavors do I want on my table? What textures do I want on my table? When you're thinking about someone holding this very heavy plate of all these different kinds of food, how are you going to differentiate them, right? And so adding an assertive flavor that is spicy or smoky or sweet or zingy like the pomegranate molasses, it really helps each of those different bites of food stand out from one another. You brought up sweet potato before and I didn't grow up with the kind of, you know, marshmallow top sweet potato (laughs) casseroles. My mom always made sweet potatoes and she would cook it in like orange juice and do it with orange zest. That was her Thanksgiving sweet potato. But I I, mind that. It was actually really good and interesting. But one thing I was thinking about that might be good for Thanksgiving was actually also inspired by something you and I experienced together, which was when we went to Moza in LA and we got that slow roasted Japanese sweet potato topped with that miso butter. Oh, wow. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And and that reminds me of that Carla Lally music, sweet potato recipe with the tahini lime butter. And it's, again, it has that lip smack. It's like butter, tahini, lime, and then you put cilantro on it. And it really stands out in a beautiful way. I think we should link a couple of those recipes because I think yeah. whether you're using like a miso butter or a tahini element, like they're both adding nuttiness and umami and yes. savoriness to this very sweet vegetable. And the other thing is if you slow roast those sweet potatoes, which you could do the night before, yeah. and reheat them and they're only going to get better kind of the more they soften in a way. I think what resonated with me about her offering this was that she was steaming sweet potatoes for her baby. And that's when she was like, well, why am I making multiple meals for all these people in my house? I can make this steamed sweet potato for my one-year-old. And then my husband and I can have this really rich, beautiful bite, right? Well, we're we're also talking about is there's different roads to similar results. So a a steamed sweet potato is really delicious and has a completely different texture than a roasted sweet potato. And that's really smart too if you're looking for oven space, having a side dish that's a steamed dish. But also at Moza, you know, it was like oven roast or like wood fire burned roasted sweet potatoes. So I think there's also something about like a very charred roasted sweet potato that's so soft that there's no fibrousness either. And we're sort of talking about the same exact thing through two different recipes. So, and I think so far the thing we're really not delving into are the green things. And yes, I'm really- I'm, I'm so glad. Well, you know, you mentioned the the idea of the three sisters. And so we've talked about corn and we've talked about squash. And so I think it's important to talk about beans. And I think generally in that space, I think about, you know, the dried beans, the black beans and the pintos and the white beans and all the, those that we're talking about. But on my family's Thanksgiving table always were green beans. And our family would always have that very traditional green green bean casserole that included frozen green beans or even canned green beans. And you mix them with a mushroom soup and then you top them with those fried onions. But 
A few years ago, I remember my sister, she tried this sort of homemade version. And I think that was one of those moments when my mom realized like, oh, my daughters are not children anymore. We're adults. And so my sister started making that dish herself. And she used fresh green beans and she used fresh mushrooms and she made the sauce. And then I think she still uses, I would have to ask her, but I think she still uses those French fried onions that kind of come in the can. That Which are excellent, by the way. Excellent and delicious. But I kind of always have a craving for a version of that. Although I think green beans are a great thing to add in any measure to a Thanksgiving table. Do you, what do you, do you do? Yes. And I want to share my mistakes with green beans so that other people might learn from them because I feel like it was always the dish that was kind of meh. Like I always make green beans and everything on my table, they were off. Not so amazing. I didn't grow up with green bean casserole. So that was never on my table. Okay. I So when I have hosted Thanksgiving, I've always done like a fresh green bean. And then uh, my former stepmother was an amazing, amazing cook. And she often made green beans coated in like a lemony vinaigrette with a lot of cilantro or fresh herbs. That sounds and, interesting. Which I loved. And so I would often do that. But what I realized is green beans aren't totally in season (laughs) in this time of year. Even when you get them, they're a little bit more fibrous than like a summer green bean. They're they're starchier, they're heavier. So I always thought, well, the best way to eat a green bean is al dente, meaning you cook it, but you blanch it, you simmer it in water until it's bright green, but you don't get it, let it get too soft like a canned green bean or a frozen green bean. And what I've learned is I'm wrong. And at Thanksgiving, I think you really want to cook your green bean until it's very soft and not worry about its greenness or al dente-ness. And so from that point on, I've started to make my green beans. Like I cook them longer. I simmer them longer. I start with fresh ones, but I would happily use frozen. And then I like topping them with nutty and umami flavors so and something acidic. So I'm really into fried shallots, which you could fry by yourself, or you could even buy fried shallots at right. an Asian market. Right. I think that's there's something sweet about a shallot. I love like toasted hazelnut on my green bean. So, so like, funny. That was one of the ones I wrote down too. Was a really? Toasted, yeah, it was a toasted hazelnut. I Essentially what you're talking about is blanched green beans, maybe blanched a little bit so they're a little bit softer, but topped with like a garlicky vinaigrette and toasted hazelnuts. And again, that gets us into if you had hazelnuts on something else or someone else was bringing a hazelnut kind of dish, then you could make the pecans or walnuts. To me, I love nuts in general, but I think putting nuts and that richness and that toastiness on your Thanksgiving table, I'm always looking for more places that I can sort of add nuts. I completely agree. And I think you're right. The green bean dish is a really good place for a toasted chopped pecan or walnut or hazelnut. And the other thing that the fried onions that you mentioned and the fried shallots that I mentioned made me think of is actually one of my favorite things. So if I don't put that on my green beans, what I tend to make is a shaved Brussels sprout salad. So salads are like a really important feature of Thanksgiving to me. I agree. I agree. You need something acidic and fresh to balance out everything and light. And every year I serve salad, it goes. It's done. People eat the whole thing. So, and I've rotated through different kinds of salads, but the one I keep coming back to, also, I feel like you made this with me at a catered event, uh, is a shaved Brussels sprout salad. So you you take a mandolin, you shave raw Brussels sprouts, which you could do ahead of time. I like it tossed with a fried shallot or a fried onion, heaps of Parmesan, 
and a lot of lemon and olive oil. And you can make that ahead of time and top it, you know, the onions at the very end. And it can just sit it and get better. Well. Yeah, it's so well. The Brussels sprouts, cabbage is going to sit better than some kind of delicate green. But I think that's a fantastic suggestion and a fantastic way to use Brussels sprouts because, again, when you're thinking about this plate, being able to sort of have this little pile of salad instead of this very fluffy salad that takes up a lot of space, people don't always want that. I mean, I generally am putting that kind of like on top of everything. So I sort of start a little bit with a salad that is more leafy. But I love the idea of shaving, yes, shaving the Brussels sprouts down and again, having these assertive flavors, lemon, and I would imagine you'd have some mustard, a couple kinds of mustard, a grainy mustard, and then a lot of umami in Parmesan. Yeah, I I think all of that. I mean, I don't always do a mustard, but I just think a tremendous amount of lemon and olive oil, Parmesan. Do you have a go-to Thanksgiving salad? I have one more. I'm curious if you have one. Yeah, I do have a Thanksgiving salad that I would have made for years that was pretty standard. I would usually find an oak lettuce or a, you know, sort of like a leafy fresh green lettuce and then make an apple cider vinegar, a little bit of mustard, a little bit of maple syrup, vinaigrette, like very basic vinaigrette. But the thing that I always added to this, which actually goes back to something that you mentioned was I would take a mandolin and I would shave both celery and fennel. Mm. So it would have that brightness. It wasn't just this sort of sad, basic salad. Getting that crunch and that lightness that both celery and fennel bring to the table, especially when you've shaved them, it really elevates. Instead of just having this heavy plate of food, then you get these this moment that's a break from all yeah. of that richness. And that's always something that I'm thinking about when I'm looking when I'm looking at the potluck list. I kind of always bring a salad. Of, I mean, not that I even yeah. go to that many Thanksgivings, but at potlucks, I loved a rich potluck. I love to bring a salad. Your salad made me think of actually two other salads. I guess I rotate through salads at Thanksgiving, but one of them is I love to do a radicchio and oh, shaved pers- persimmon salad. Yes. And that is also radicchio, that red. By the way, you're wearing this beautiful burgundy red sweater today. It's a fall color and then you shave the persimmon in that. That's a beautiful- The orange and the maroon. And you can even add some kale or some other green in there to mix up. And then you have all this like fall colors in one bowl. I do a a lemon maple vinaigrette for that, maple syrup, lemon juice, olive oil, some chopped shallot or garlic, something, you know, a little punchy in there. And with kale- for years, I was doing actually vegan uh, kale Caesar salads like way back, but somehow oh, they man. really work at Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I make a, I don't even know if I should call it a Caesar, but basically I make a dressing with whole grain mustard and mayonnaise and garlic and lemon juice. And then I taught, I make really garlicky croutons, but from scratch. So I toss bread cubes with garlic and oil. Well, right. And then I do the kale with all this. And there's something about that, the dark leafy green, creamy dressing, even though it sounds heavy, it's not. And it's such a balance to the other spread of things. Well, and again, to call out this idea that's also true for the Brussels sprouts, the shaved Brussels sprout salad that you're offering is that these salads can be prepared a couple of hours ahead of time. Whereas the salad that I'm describing needs to be tossed right before. I usually shave the celery and the fennel and I'll put them into a baggie with like a wet paper towel or into a jar with a little bit of water to kind of keep them crisp and cold. But there's it's a little bit clunky at the at the very end because I often, you know, I'm unafraid to carve a turkey. So I'm often the person who like gets handed the knife to carve the turkey. <laughs> so knowing that I have to carve the turkey and get it out and then 
toss this salad. I love this idea of your radicchio and persimmon, which again would sit so well, just like the Brussels sprout salad. Yeah, especially if you're ho- if you're the one hosting yes. Thanksgiving, having a couple salads that you can make, a f- you know, not at the last minute is helpful. But I also like a last minute salad because then it's at its peak lightness and freshness. Yeah. And I think this is again just thinking about the balance of your individual table or your individual yeah. gathering. What else is there, and how do you fill in the gaps? Yeah. So I want to pivot really hard. Yes. Something yes. that I have made for years, and I do feel like we really have to talk about rolls. Oh my gosh, it was the next thing on my mind. <laughs> Again, I grew up in a family where having a piece of bread was a part of our everyday meals. So like if we had roast chicken or a pork chop or a whatever, there was always some kind of roll or bread piece at every meal that I grew up in. And so at our Thanksgiving table for years, we my parents would always get these like really lovely little yeast rolls. And then at some point, my mom was making these like frozen yeast rolls. And then when I started cooking, I found this recipe for potato rolls. Oh, I and love I love a make, potato roll. I love a potato roll so much. And I always kind of swear at them a little bit. Right as we're getting close to Thanksgiving and I'm like, oh, why do I agree to make these potato rolls every year? And then I'm always astounded by how easy they are. It's really so simple and you just kind of mash the potato and then work it into the dough and it's really not a big deal at all. But the result of a fresh made potato roll wow. is like is un what's the word I'm looking for? Unparalleled. Unparalleled. Yes. It's <laughs> unparalleled. Yeah. Right. It's just such a beautiful and I think everyone loves that. And then what I've also started doing is doubling the amount of yes. potato rolls I make so that you can have turkey. The next sandwiches. day. Yeah. The next day. Exactly. That's so funny. I double my roll recipe every year mm-hmm. too. Can you share that recipe? I can. It, the one that I always go back to is from Cooking Light Magazine from like the late 90s, which is such a funny- You just never know where recipes going to come from. I love that. It is my old faithful. And of course, the one that I have has like so many sticky finger marks on it. And I go back to it every time. I think why a potato roll is so good is that it has that soft texture, which you also find in like a Hawaiian roll, but they achieve that with a lot of sugar. But here you're achieving it with potato and you just want that soft pillowy roll for your sandwiches, for your meal. It's everything. It's everything. I I didn't grow up having rolls at Thanksgiving. As I became an adult, I sort of understood the roll would be a good thing and I started making my own. And I think I found like a King Arthur recipe, very simple traditional roll, which I can link and they're delicious and they're perfect. And they come out all shiny and gorgeous. Like you glaze oh, them yeah. with butter at the end. Yes. But one year for Thanksgiving, I decided to use my own recipe. I have these Ukrainian garlic rolls that I make. They're called pampushki. And you can find this recipe in my book that's coming out, but it's one of my favorite <laughs> It's one of my favorite roll recipes ever. I really, I just love this recipe. I didn't invent the idea. Can I just interrupt you? Yeah. Say it again because I want to hear it. Pampushki. Yeah. Pampushki. Pampushki. Okay. Well, I, I think that's part it. of the fun of making it is saying what they are. And I mean, this is, seems amazing to me. These rolls are traditionally served with borscht, which is a beet soup, and they're very, very garlicky. So you make a little almost like chimichurri of fresh garlic, parsley, and dill in oil. And that's what you brush onto the rolls when they come out of the oven. So you're basically oh hitting God. them. Who are you? That sounds incredible. 
Yeah. And it's a weird, you would be like, why would a garlicky dilly parsley roll make sense at Thanksgiving? But because every, what we've talked about today is that each dish should be assertive. Assertive. Yes. Yeah. So even your roll can be assertive if you want it to be. And I kind of like making this for Thanksgiving, but I can also link that recipe. Oh, I want that recipe for sure. Well, I know I have, I've ordered my, pre-ordered my cookbooks. I put in my order months Mm -hmm. and years ago, but yeah, I love that as this really is probably a great way to sum up our conversation because think about my very Midwestern, like very plain, bland, white potato roll. <laughs> it is, by the way, that's wonderful and comforting and is really kind of a non-negotiable on my Thanksgiving table. And then this really beautiful roll that has this assertive garlic and herb and right, is it bur- butter or No, it's oil? just, uh, in fact, in Ukraine, they would use sunflower oil. So you oh, can wow. even use like a neutral oil, like a okay. avocado oil. And, and in Ukraine, they have a lot of unrefined sunflower oils, which mm. mean they taste a little nutty. So oh, there's a ni- there's a, something about the sunflower oil that's really nice here too. But totally. and what just occurred to me today for the first time is I've had this tradition of baking rolls the day of Thanksgiving, where like I'm this is the first thing I make in the morning. Yeah. But what I learned from making challah is you can fully bake off something, let it cool down, and freeze it, and then reheat it wrapped in foil in the oven, and it tastes like it was made that day. And so I kind of think rolls are another thing we could be making even a few weeks in advance. That's a really great offering because I think people can get really nervous about making a roll like that. And I will just attest to my last trip to Portland when you made a roast chicken for us and you served a challah. We were too busy going to the farmer's market and eating our way through Portland that we you were not making challah that week, but you pulled a challah out of your freezer and it was so stunning. I definitely embarrassed myself with the amount of, I was like, you guys get this all the time. I'm eating 90% of this challah. It was so you good. You did not embarrass yourself. We <laughs> we frequently go through a whole loaf, oh, just the was, two of us at yeah, dinner. Amazing. So that's a great tip, I think, to, to end on is this idea that it is nice to have a homemade bread or roll, but I would encourage people to, to stretch a little bit this year and you can do that a few days ahead of time and and throw them in the freezer. Yeah. Or even a week ahead of time or two weeks ahead of time. Yes. The weekend before. Whatever you can do to make Thanksgiving feel more fun, easier. More peaceful. Yeah. More peaceful. Joyful. That's the way to go. Rich, nutty, garlicky, assertive, you know, all those things. Tangy. Tangy. Yes. Sweet, sour. Oh man, I am so excited for Thanksgiving now after this. This I'm really made me excited. I can't wait to start planning my menu. Me too. Well, till next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating.